Jesus' teaching in Genesareth and banks of the Jordan. Part 14. Jesus leaves Bezek and goes to Enon. Mary of Sufan. Jesus still taught and cured in the country around the inn. The neophytes, the pagan caravan, and many others took their way to the Jordan with the intention of crossing. The ferry was an hour and a half to the south of Bezek, below a city called Zarthan, which was one hour's distance from the first named and lower down on the Jordan. On the opposite side of the river, between Bezek and Zarthan, was a place called Adam. It was near that city of Zarthan that the Jordan had ceased to flow while the children of Israel were crossing. Solomon once had some vases cast here. That industry was still carried on. West of the bend that the Jordan makes in this neighborhood was a mountain extending off to Samaria, and in it was a mine from which was obtained a metal, something like that which we call brass. Jesus taught all along the route. When questioned as to whether he intended to teach in Zarthan, he answered, There are other localities that need it more. John was often there, so you may ask the people whether he feasted and lived on dainty fare. The Jordan was here crossed by a great ferry, just below which began the detour of the river toward the west. After crossing, Jesus and his followers went on for about two hours eastward and along the northern bank of a little stream that flowed into the Jordan somewhere below the ferry. Then they crossed another stream, near which lay Sokoth to their left, looking as if they had just stepped over it. They rested under tents between Sokoth and Enon, which places may have been about four hours apart. If they had again crossed the river and gone up a little distance, they could have seen Salem, which was hidden from them by the hilly bank. It was opposite Anon, and somewhat below the middle of another bend of the Jordan westward. Crowds innumerable were collected at Anon. The pagans were encamped between the hill upon which it was built and the Jordan. There were ten Pharisees present, some from Anon, some from other places, among them the son of Simeon of Bethania. Some of them were reasonable enough and animated by upright intention. The little city of Enon lay on the north side of the hill, as if built up entirely of beautiful villas. On this side and beyond the city was the source of the basin destined for baptism, which was on the east side of the hill. The stream was conducted through the hill in metal pipes, which could be closed and opened when needed. There was a spring house over the source. The Pharisees, among them the son of Simon the leper, came out to this place to meet Jesus and the disciples. They welcomed them cordially and politely, led them into a tent, washed their feet, brushed their garments, and presented them refreshments of honey, bread, and wine. Jesus congratulated them on the good dispositions of many among them, though, as he said, it grieved him that they belonged to that sect. He accompanied them to the city, where he soon came to a court in which a crowd of sick of all kinds, some natives of the city, some strangers, were awaiting his arrival. Some were lying under tents, others were in the halls that opened into the court. Many could walk, and Jesus helped them one after another with imposition of hands and words of admonition. The disciples assisted in bringing the sick forward, and raising them and freeing them from their covers, etc. The Pharisees and many others were present. Several women stood at a distance, pale and enveloped in their mantles. They were afflicted with an issue of blood. When Jesus had finished with the rest, he approached them, 
laid his hands upon them and cured them. Among the sick were paralytics and dropsical, consumptives, some with abscesses on their necks and other parts of the body, though not such as to render them unclean. The deaf and the dumb, in a word, sufferers of all kinds. At the extremity of this court was a large portico opening into the city. I saw in it many spectators, Pharisees and women. To the Pharisees of Enon, since there were upright souls among them, and also because they had received him frankly and respectfully, Jesus showed a certain indulgence that he had not exhibited in other places. He wished thereby to make void the reproach that he associated only with publicans, sinners, and vagrants. He wanted to show them that he would pay them due honor if they demeaned themselves properly and with upright intentions. They showed great activity in preserving order among the people on this occasion, and Jesus allowed them to do it. While Jesus was busy curing the sick, a beautiful woman of middle age and in the garb of a stranger entered the large portico by the gate leading from the city. Her head and hair were wound in a thin veil woven with pearls. She wore a bodice and shape somewhat like a heart and opened at the sides, something like a scapular thrown over the head and fastened together around the body by straps reaching from the back. Around the neck and breast it was ornamented with cords and pearls. From it fell, and folds to the ankle, two deep skirts, one shorter than the other. Both were of fine white wool, embroidered with large colored flowers. The sleeves were wide and fastened with armlets. To the shoulder straps that connected the front and back of the bodice was attached the upper part of a short mantle that fell over the arms. Over this flowed a long veil of the whiteness of wool. The woman, ashamed and anxious, entered slowly and timidly, her pale countenance bespeaking confusion, and her eyes red from weeping. She wanted to approach Jesus, but the crowd was so great that she could not get near him. The Pharisees, keeping order, went to her, and she at once addressed them, Lead me to the prophet, that he may forgive my sins and cure me. The Pharisees stopped her with the words, Woman, go home. What do you want here? The prophet will not speak to you. How can he forgive you your sins? He will not busy himself with you, for you are an adulteress. When the woman heard these words, she grew pale. Her countenance assumed a frightful expression. She threw herself on the ground, rent her mantle from top to bottom, snatched her veil from her head, and cried, Ah, then I am lost. Now they lay hold of me. They are tearing me to pieces. See, there they are. She named five devils who were raging against her, one of her husband, the other four of her paramours. It was a fearful spectacle. Some of the women standing around raised her from the ground and bore her wailing to her home. Jesus knew well what was going on, but he would not put the Pharisees of this place to shame. He did not interfere, but quietly continued his work of healing, for her hour had not yet come. Soon after, accompanied by the disciples and Pharisees, and followed by the people, Jesus went through the city to the hill upon which John had formerly taught. It was in the center of moss-covered ramparts, and there were some buildings around. On the side by which they approached was a half-ruined castle, and one of whose towers Herod took up his abode during John's teaching. The whole hill was already covered with the expectant crowd. Jesus mounted to the place where John had taught. It was covered with a large awning open on all sides. Here he delivered a long discourse, in which he spoke of the mercy of God to men, particularly to his own people. 
He ran through the entire scriptures, showed God's guidance of his chosen nation, his promises to them, and proved that they were all being realized in the present. Jesus did not, however, say so openly at Enon, as he had done at Bezek, that he was himself the Messiah. He spoke also of John, his imprisonment, and his mission. One crowd of listeners was at intervals supplanted by another, that all might hear his words. Jesus questioned some of them as to why they wanted to receive baptism, why they had put it off till the present, and what they thought the ceremony to be. He divided them into classes, some of which were to be baptized at once, and others only after further instruction. I remember the answer of one group of neophytes to the question why they had delayed till now. One of the numbers said, Because John constantly taught that a man was to come who would be greater than himself. We waited consequently in order to receive still greater grace. At these words, all that approved the response raised their hands. They formed a special class to receive more particular instructions as preparation for baptism. The discourse ended at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Then Jesus and the disciples went with the Pharisees down the hill and into the city, where great entertainment had been prepared for him in one of the public halls. But when he drew near the hall, he stopped short, saying, I have another kind of hunger. And he asked, though he already knew, where that woman lived, whom they had sent away from him in the morning. They pointed out the house. It was near the hall of entertainment. Jesus left his companions standing where they were, while he went forward and entered the house through the courtyard. As Jesus approached, I saw the fearful torture and affliction of the woman inside. The devil, who had possession of her, drove her from one corner to another. She was like a timorous animal that would hide itself. As Jesus was traversing the court and drawing near to where she was, she fled through a corridor and into a cellar in the side of the hill upon which her house was built. And it was a vessel like a great cask, narrow above and wide below. She wanted to hide herself in it, but when she tried to do so, it burst with a loud crash. It was an immense earthen vessel. Jesus meantime halted and cried, Mary of Sufan, wife of, here pronounced her husband's name, which I have forgotten. I command thee in the name of God to come to me. Then the woman, enveloped from head to foot, as if the demon forced her still to hide in her mantle, came creeping to Jesus' feet on all fours, like a dog awaiting the whip. But Jesus said to her, Stand up. She obeyed, but drew her veil tightly over her face and around her neck as if she wanted to strangle herself. Then said the Lord to her, Uncover thy face. And she unwound her veil, but lowering her eyes and averting them from Jesus, as a force to do so by an interior power. Jesus, approaching his head to hers, said, Look at me. And she obeyed. He breathed upon her. A black vapor went out of her on all sides, and she fell unconscious before him. Her servant maids, alarmed by the loud bursting of the cask, had hurried thither and were standing nearby. Jesus directed them to take their mistress upstairs and lay her on a bed. He soon followed with two of the disciples that had accompanied him, and found her weeping bitter tears. He went to her, laid his hand on her head, and said, Thy sins are forgiven thee. She wept vehemently and sat up, and now her three children entered the room, a boy about twelve years old, and two little girls of about nine and seven. The girls wore little short-sleeved tunics embroidered in yellow. Jesus stepped forward to meet the children, spoke to them kindly, asked them some questions. 
and gave them some instruction. Their mother said, Thank the prophet, he has cured me. Whereupon the little ones fell on the ground at Jesus' feet. He blessed them, led them one by one to their mother, in order of age, and put their little hands into hers. It seemed to me that, by this action, Jesus removed from the children the disgrace, and thus legitimized them, for they were the fruits of adulterous unions. Jesus still consoled the woman, telling her that she would be reconciled with her husband, and counseling her thenceforth to live righteously in contrition and penance. After that, he went with the disciples to the entertainment of the Pharisees. This woman was from Sufan in the land of Moab. She was a descendant of Orpha, the widow of Shalion, and daughter-in-law of Noemi, who upon the latter's advice did not go with her to Bethlehem, though Ruth, the widow of Orpha's other son, Mahalan, accompanied Noemi thither. Orpha, the widow of Shalion, who was the son of Elimelech of Bethlehem, married again in Moab, and from that union sprang the family of Mary the Sufanite. She was a Jewess and rich, but an adulteress. The three children that she had with her at the time of her conversion were illegitimate. Her legitimate children had been retained by their father when he repudiated his unfaithful wife, their mother. She was living at this time in a house of her own at Enon. For a long time, she had conceived sentiments of sorrow for her disorders and had done penance, her conduct being so reserved and proper that she had won the esteem of even the most respectable women of Enon. The Baptist preaching against Herod's unlawful connection had strongly affected her. She was often possessed by five devils. They had again seized upon her when, as a last resource, she had gone to the court where Jesus was curing the sick. The rebuff of the Pharisees and their words, which in her deep dejection she had taken as true, had driven her to the brink of despair. Through her descent from Orpha, Ruth's sister-in-law, she was connected with the house of David, the ancestral line of Jesus. It was show me how this stream, deviating in her from its course and troubled by her abominable sins, was purified anew in her by the grace of Jesus and flowed once more in its direct course toward the church. Jesus went into the entertainment hall, in which were the Pharisees and the rest of the disciples, and took his place with them at table. The Pharisees were somewhat displeased that Jesus had left them and gone to seek the woman whom they had so harshly repulsed that morning before so many people. But they said nothing, fearing to receive a reproof themselves. Jesus treated them with much consideration during the meal and taught in numerous similitudes and parables. Toward the middle of the entertainment, the three children of the Sufanite entered in their holiday dresses. One of the little girls, born urn, full of odoriferous water, the other had a similar one of nard, and the boy carried a vessel. They entered the hall by the door opposite the unoccupied side of the table, cast themselves down before Jesus, and set their presence on the table in front of him. Mary herself followed with her maids, but she dared not approach. She was veiled and carried a shining crystal vase with colored veins like marble, in which, surrounded by upright sprays of delicate green foliage, were various kinds of costly aromatics. Her children had offered similar vases, but smaller. The Pharisees cast forbidding glances upon the mother and children, but Jesus said, Draw near, Mary, and she stepped humbly behind him, while her children, to whom she had handed it, deposited her offering beside the others on the table. Jesus thanked her. The Pharisees murmured as later on they did at Magdalene's present to Jesus. They thought it a great waste, quite opposed to economy and compassion for the needy. However, they only wanted something to bring against the poor woman. Jesus spoke to her very kindly, 
as also to the children, to whom he presented some fruit, which they took away with them. The Sufanite remained veiled and standing humbly behind Jesus. He said to the Pharisees, All gifts come from God. For precious gifts, gratitude gives in return what it has the most precious, and that is no waste. The people that gather and prepare these spices must live. Then he directed one of the disciples to give the value of them to the poor, spoke some words upon the woman's conversion and repentance, restored her to the good opinion of all, and called upon the inhabitants of the city to treat her affectionately. Mary spoke not a word, but wept quietly under her veil the whole time. At last she cast herself in silence at Jesus' feet, rose, and left the dining hall. Jesus took this occasion to give some instruction against adultery, which among them, he asked, felt himself free from spiritual adultery. He remarked that John had not been able to convert Herod, but that this poor woman had of her own accord turned away from her evil life, and that he related the parable of the sheep lost and found. He had already consoled the woman in her own house, assuring her that her children would turn out well, and holding out to her the hope that she should one day join the women under Martha's supervision and work for the benefit of the inns. I saw the disciples after the entertainment giving abundantly of what was left to the poor. Jesus went down to the west side of the hill of Enon, where the camp of the heathens lay at some distance. There was also, I think, a tent inn on this side. There Jesus instructed the heathens. Enon was in the dominion of Herod, but it belonged, like a property across the boundary, to the tetrarch Philip. Many soldiers of Herod were again there trying to find out news for their master.